Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. We hope that this message inspires you and helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. Just visiting us for the first time at Suncoast, and it's so cool to host you here. My name is Jono, along with my wife Chloe here, the pastor's here, and we just, you're thrilled you're joining us at one of the best times of the year. But, but... I find it in, uh, quite humorous, personally, that this series we've titled uh, Peace on Earth. So that's a big core, right? Peace on Earth. It's almost like one of those random things you're saying, what's your dream? Oh, you know, world peace or whatever it might be. We're, it's Christmas time on the Sunshine Coast, and the word peace is probably the last word that most people right now are thinking about when we are talking about peace, right? It's like often you think of Christmas, you're thinking of traffic, you're thinking of shops, you're thinking of kids are at home from school, what are we going to do to entertain them? You're thinking of you're hanging with your in-laws, whatever it might be, right? So peace might be the furthest thing away from Christmas for you, but we reckon it should be at uh, the forefront of your life when it comes to the Christmas message. So again, if you're joining us, we're kicking this series off to talk about today, and if you're joining us uh, online, it's great to have you here uh, with us as well. So um, I, I was first encountered this kind of dichotomy, the idea of peace and Christmas time when I was at university and I was doing the kind of rite of passage. I had to work at the plaza, the Sunshine Plaza. Anyone had the wonderful experience of working there, right? So I had to work at a, uh, all the gamers will appreciate where I worked. They worked at a store called EB Games. So I don't know if any of you are gamers. There you go. Great. Um, so neither was I. So it's like a computer game store. And it was always fascinating to me because um, I saw like at Christmas time in retail, two worlds colliding all the time. So I'd be in the store, I'd be doing my thing and, you know, treating all customers equally. But you'd have two radical different customers that would come in. You'd have the kids that would come in for their computer game and they were like, it's so excited. Like, it's Christmas time, I get finally get my favorite game. You know, Immortal Death Slayer 2000 or whatever it might be. I just made that up. I used to try and sell that game to people all the time, but it didn't exist. And they're like, it sounds real. But anyway, so if those you know, those you know. So the kids would come in so excited. And then the poor mum would be there pulling her hair. It was more like the kid pulling her hair, going, I don't know if this game is bad for my kid. The games have got ratings. Why do computer games have ratings? Like, it was like these two worlds would collide at Christmas time, and I just found it absolutely hilarious. And the last thing Christmas, particularly in retail, is ever associated with is peace, right? Um, in fact, yesterday, you know, on Friday, Chloe and I, as you mentioned, we went shopping, and uh, we went past one shop, and there's a guy from our church community that waved at us, and I was talking to him before the, the first service this morning. I was like, it's good seeing you. He goes, funny what you talked about. He said, because just before you walk past our shop, we had one of our employees completely lose his mind at the manager and just storm out and quit in front of all the customers. I was like, peace at Christmas time. All right, you know, people are loving it. So, so I, I, anyway, I find it hilarious that this is kind of the, uh, the vibe um, that we're, we're talking about here, but it's important to talk about. And so what I want to do, I want to look at the origin of that idea, the origin of the idea that Christmas is somehow synonymous with peace. And the place we find it is in a rather unusual event that took place around the birth of Christ. And it is recorded uh, in only one of the Gospels, the Gospel of Luke. Luke was a doctor. And essentially, we got his account of Jesus through, he uh, interviewed eyewitnesses. And that's kind of how he went about that systematically, as you'd assume, you know, a, a doctor would. And uh, he interviewed some of the people who witnessed the birth of Christ. They were shepherds. And here's how we pick up the story in his gospel uh, in, in the second chapter. It says this, there were shepherds who were living out in the fields nearby, nearby where Jesus was born. And they were keeping watch over their flocks at night. Then an, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, 
And they were terrified. They were terrified. Now that's a word more synonymous with Christmas time. Am I right? Okay, so this makes sense. So what are you going to do? You're a shepherd. You're minding your own business. You're working. It's night time. And then an, an angel just visits you right that. So I don't know how you, <laughs> I don't even know where you are in the belief spectrum. You might not even yet bought into the whole God thing and not know, or you're someone who's fully bought into it. Wherever you are, how would, how would you react if an, if an angel appeared to you? I think the whole idea of being terrified is, a per, is probably the perfect way of explaining the, a normal human response to that. But it's interesting because here are these shepherds seemingly just doing what they do, minding their own business. And then it's like there was a visit from another world. And ultimately, this is probably a perfect picture of what we talk about at Christmas time. It really is a message of two worlds colliding with one another. Two worlds colliding. And in one moment, these men became acutely aware that this world wasn't all there is. That there was another realm. That there was another sphere. Now, before you get freaked out and before, like, particularly if you're not a believer, and you're like, hang on, he's already gotten, this is why I avoid the Christian stuff. You guys get weird. I want you to stay with me because here's the thing. You and I know that often at times we will get startled by all of a sudden another world completely colliding with our world. I know growing up, it was, uh, to me, getting woken up from a sleep was always like the biggest invasion of another world kind of colliding with my life, right? You know when you're having a nice dream and you're convinced the dream is like real and then you're woken up by the alarm or the kids or the dog. You're like, oh, I was having the best dream. Now I've got to face reality. I know for me as a teenager, waking up in the morning was freaking terrifying, right? Because if you've ever tried to wake up teenagers before, God bless you. I haven't had the experience yet. But I know my dad found a foolproof way of doing it, right? Essentially, it was assault. It was a full frontal assault. So he would burst in like the, damp, the door would slam open. The room would shake. I'm not kidding. You feel like a, an earthquake was happening. Flick on the fluorescent light. So roll off the doona and turn off the fan, right? They wake up, you know, good morning, right? Merry Christmas, peace on earth. So that's one way of waking up your teenage boys in the morning. But however it says, you know, you, you get that, right? Sometimes it's like another world collides with your world. And you're like, oh, that's right. But to be more frank about it, I found in, in my life, and maybe you found this too, probably when I've become most acutely aware that this life isn't all that there is, is through the, the loss of a loved one. When someone you care about dies. And you find yourself start asking questions and just being, being sensitive, being open, caring that, man, like this life thing, there is, there's more. There's more to this life than, there is, than, than this life. And so every now and again, something will happen. And it's like the reality of another world, of a, a bigger existence, of a greater reality, comes like a collision course with your life and just like, that's right. There's, there's, there's more. There's more. There's more to this life. In fact, I read an account recently which I found rather amusing. It was from a. He's a British novelist, and he also would write plays. His name was David Lodge, and um, many years ago, a lot of his performances would get would be in theaters around Britain. And one night, just randomly, he decided to go and watch one of his own shows. And the night that he happened to be there watching one of his own shows, this particular show where it was a comedy, a lot of slapstick humor, and um, the kind of the main lead role, part of the humor of the, the, the performance was he'd go around at random times and turn on a radio that he'd had holding on his shoulder. So he'd go into like job interviews, have the radio on. He'd be at dinner time, have the radio on. So it was part of the humor of the play. Anyway, there's one night that the, the writer of the play was attending it, it was in the mid-60s, and 
And because it was live radio, it was part of the humor of the show. There were like modern songs on and the news would happen. It added to the, 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 you know, the, the humor. All of a sudden, it was one of those breaking news articles came over the radio mid-performance. And the reporter gets on there and says, breaking news, the president of the United States has been assassinated. And it was the murder of JFK. And you could just, in the, in the, the theater, it's like there was this huge, whoa! Like, and so the actors, whatever they could, to turn off the radio as quick as possible. But the damage had been done. And the realities from an outside world had come crashing in to their kind of seemingly make-believe world. It shattered the artificial world of theater production. It's almost like in that moment, all of a sudden, the performing arts seem to be superficial and irrelevant. And in many cases, this is what the announcement of the birth of Christ was to these shepherds and indeed to the story of humanity. It was like another world just intruding in. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus here and you recall the time that you first came, came face to face with the gospel message, maybe that's what it was like for you. And you were like, it was another world had entered your life and another way of viewing the world had entered your life. And if you're someone who's, who's new to the Christian faith, maybe someone who's exploring it or not yet sure, often would you hear about the Christian belief or the Christian worldview or the Christian ethic can seem like it's something from just another planet. And indeed, in many cases, that's exactly what it feels like. And um, so I find it interesting that at Christmas time, in the middle of all the frivolities and all the busyness and all our toing and froing, it's actually an amazing time for us to be reminded, reminded of some of the most precious and realest things about our lives. And my prayer for this church community, my prayer for us this Christmas, is that you wouldn't just go through the motion of the festive season, but ultimately you will allow the kingdom of God to collide with your life, to be an intruder, to upset you, to mess up your plans, that we would never allow our faith to become this stale, stagnant, boring, rule-based kind of boxing God. This is how my faith world goes. I, pr- I pray at this Christmas time that God would mess up your world so much in the best possible way, that your idea of him, that your idea of Jesus, that your idea of Christmas would again be shattered like one world coming into another. Because this is exactly what was happening with the shepherds at this time. So angels arrive, they're terrified, and then they begin their, this angel begins its conversation with the shepherds. And here's how it goes. The very next verse says, The angel said to them, because they were terrified, said, Do not be afraid, because I bring you good news that will cause great joy for who? For how many people? <laughs> for all people. Now, let's just think of this for a moment, okay? We've got a couple of hundred people in, in this room. There's people watching online, right? So, there's a lot of opinions in this room. Heck, what you would say is good news for Christmas time this year. Probably going to be different to your spouse even. So for the angel to come and say, I'm bringing you, not just news. I'm not just saying something that's happening. This is good news and it's good for everyone. Essentially this, that the birth of, this is what the angel was trying to argue. The birth of Jesus was bringing something that everyone was looking for. Now let's think about this for a moment, everyone. Just think about it in, in real terms today in our culture. That's a big call because the world is very, very, very different wherever you go. In fact, it'd be easily argued that the world in many cases is very divided. Think about it. The claim that something would be good news for everyone, which means it has to be good news for both the poor and the rich. It has to be good news both for the old and the young. It has to be good news for men and women 
It has to be good news for rugby league supporters and AFL supporters and non-sport supporters. It has to be good news for Jew and Gentile. It means if it's good news for everyone, it means both the healthy and the sick both rejoice at it. Think of this for a moment. This is a big ask. Um, means both the married and the single will be happy. The childless and those with the quiverful will be happy. Do we still use the term quiverful? I just use it, so we do. And ultimately, ultimately it'll be used not just good for the ancient world, but also for today, for the modern world. I mean, let's go even deeper. Think of it in our world today. Think of how divided we are politically, how different we are culturally, socially, ethically, economically. <laughs> in fact, one nation's hero could be another nation's worst enemy. So for this call, that there would be news that would be good for everyone, would be cool. But ultimately saying this, that Jesus, the birth of Jesus and the arrival of Jesus was bringing something not only that everyone was looking for, but also it was something that nothing in this world could offer. Because if it was something that this world could offer, then it'd be something that already everyone was happy with. But clearly there wasn't something that everyone had found to bring them good news. So it had to be something from ultimately another world. And this is, this is the message of Christmas. It was the intrusion of God from a completely different place into our existence. And that's ultimately what the gospel does, the message of Jesus. It will feel like an intrusion into our life. Okay, so goes on. So not only they're freaking out and they're saying there's going to be good news for all the people, the angel goes on with his announcement. Here's what happens in the next verse. So it says there's going to be great joy for all the people today. And here's the news. Today, in the town of David, there is a Savior. He has been born to you, and He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, this term Messiah here, for the audience that were first hearing these uh, shepherds in Israel, this was a well-understood word, right? This is a, a common term that any good Jewish person would understood. It was a prophesied this idea that one day there would be a Savior, a Messiah. Messiah means chosen one or anointed one, and He would deliver Israel from their enemies, okay? So this is a big call. Now, Israel had a lot of enemies, particularly when the angels rocked up at this time. They were dominated by an enemy. They were dominated by Rome. So Israel was subjected under Rome's authority. So they were waiting for a Messiah. But it didn't come how they expected, right? Because they're saying, well, surely, you know, this Messiah is going to deliver Israel. But then he was saying, no, no, this isn't just going to be good news for Israel. Come on, this is going to be good news for who? For everyone, so ultimately, it was going to be a Messiah, not just to deliver Israel from its enemies, but a Messiah to deliver the whole, the whole world from its enemies. But that presents a conundrum. Because if a Messiah is going to deliver the whole world from its enemies, who's left? Right? So clearly, well, are you talking about Martians, you know, aliens or something? Right? So, so clearly, the enemy that the Messiah had come to deliver people from wasn't something external. It wasn't a, a people group or a culture or a political idea. It wasn't something external. Clearly, it's pointing to that there's an enemy somewhere else. It wasn't something external. It was something more internal. So here's my question I want to ask you today. As we launch this series, what would you say? Who or what is your greatest enemy? In your life and in your experience, and if you think of your history and your story, you think of maybe pain you've had in your life or loss you've had in your life or where things have gone, certainly not according to plan in your life. Who or what has been the number one stealer of your joy, the number one thief of your peace, 
And if you think back through all your pain and all your regrets and some of the worst moments of your life, you might notice that there is a common denominator in every single one of those events. You know who the common denominator most likely is? You. Ourselves. Now think about this. This isn't, to, this isn't to diminish by any means or make small of the injustices that do happen to our lives and atrocities that are committed by other people and trials we go through. It's by no means to minimize that in the pain and events we've experienced. No doubt they're enemies. But if you think in terms, you cannot avoid the fact that for every single one of the worst moments in our life, things where you've, your joy has been robbed from you or your peace has been stolen from you, the common denominator has been you and I in our own, in our own stories. And so we recognize there's been a motivator or there has been a drive behind all of our bad decisions. And if you think about it, if you're honest with yourself, maybe the drive for you has been greed. If you think about when something horrible has gone in a relationship in your life or something you've experienced, maybe you can bring it back to selfishness. Maybe it's been pride. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's gluttony. Certainly no growing up in an Italian household, gluttony was the cause of most wars in our house. So whatever it is, if you think about it, often things have gone horribly wrong and some of the worst moments in our life happened because I was involved and you were involved. Now, the New Testament writers, they would go to great lengths to, to explain in the easiest language possible what the life of Jesus meant to such an enemy. And if this Messiah indeed came to deliver all the world from this, this enemy, and if the enemy is not external, if the enemy is internal, well, we often find the New Testament is a lot of working out what the life of Jesus meant to this internal enemy, whoever or whatever it is, right? And so, um, so the Apostle Paul, he, went to great, he was an amazing writer about this. And so much of our New Testament is breaking down what the life of Jesus meant for us and our lives and what the, not just the life of Jesus, but ultimately his death and resurrection means for our lives today. And in his letter to the church at Rome, the Apostle Paul, and he wrote much of our New Testament, he, he, he was honest about this wrestle that he could feel, this war that was going on inside of him, where he felt his greatest enemy wasn't something out there or something in here. And sometimes his words are hard to get ahead around, but read it, with me, read it with me today, and you might find that you even see yourself in what he's trying to explain. So this is in his letter to the church in Rome, book of Romans, chapter 7. He writes this, because I find a law, or essentially saying, I've noticed a pattern in my life, and you might find this pattern in your life too. He said, although... I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Okay, let me just chill for a bit and say, you know, though you might want to be, you know, having a good diet, that chocolate cake calls to me and calls to me and calls to me and calls to me, right? So he's saying, I can't, I want to do good, but evil's right there with me. And then he goes deeper. He says, for in my inner being, so inside of me, I delight, I delight in God's law. What's he saying? And maybe this is how you feel as well. He's saying, look, I really, really, really want to do what God wants me to do. I want to do what's right by God. I want to follow Jesus' example. He's using this word, I, de- I delight in God's law. I delight, like I lean into it. I get that it's the best thing for me. I notice when I do it, I'm happier. My family is happier with me. Things, things go differently, generally more positively when I do it. So I delight in God's law. But, I see another law. There's something else going on at work in me. And he, he used this term. He said, waging war. This is what enemies do, right? They wage war. He says, it's waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that has work, is at work where? Within. This is where he's saying. Say, say with me, okay? Because he's saying, 
biggest enemy isn't the stuff that's out there. He goes, I recognize that there's a battle going on in here. And the next part, it's kind of like he throws his hands up and he, he kind of almost gives in. But this is what he says. He says, a wretched man that I am. Now, have you ever used that term? Maybe not that term. Have you ever felt that before? You've tried to do what you wanted to do and you knew it was right or what your spouse wanted you to do or what your parents said you should do. You've wanted, you, but you just haven't. And you, you know you shouldn't, but you do. And you're like, why do I keep going back to the thing that I know causes me harm? It's I'm my own worst enemy. I keep making decisions that robs my joy and robs my peace. He's saying, what a wretched man, you know. But then, this is where it's good. He says, but who will rescue me? This is the Messiah idea now, right? That someone who would rescue us or deliver us. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through who? Through Jesus Christ. Okay, so Paul is arguing this for us, and I think he nails it right on the head. He's saying we're, there's this enemy, and the enemy, is, as much as there are enemies out there, no doubt about it, he's saying the real enemy, the real enemy that's going on is something in here. It's what he labeled a sin, and he's arguing here that our greatest enemy in life or the biggest thing that robs our joy or steals our joy or steals our peace is sin. Sin is the real enemy. Now, I understand that word. For some of you right now, you might be flinching. You might be watching at home. You stumbled across this feed and going, ah, oh, this is exactly why I don't go to church. All they talk about is sin, how wrong. I want you to stay with me for a moment, right? Because this is something that goes way, way deeper than even just some religious ideals around this, okay? The reason sometimes we wince and we kind of draw back when you hear this word sin, part of it might be because maybe your upbringing, we came from a heavily religious background, and, and the idea of sin was used completely just the manner to pile judgment on you and form and to kind of help keep you behaviorally in, in line. Maybe you're in an institution or a family that like made you feel guilty all the time for not doing the right thing. And so they use this term all the time. And the talk, they talk about this notion of sin, but completely divorced it from its solution. Grace. Okay, everywhere you read about sin in the New Testament, they write about sin, but then in double portion, it talks about grace. It talks about the solution. It talks about Jesus Christ in the middle of it. And it is impossible to have a true idea or a true understanding of sin outside of the truth of the grace of Jesus Christ. And if your lens of sin has only been through the lens of sin, it's the, most, it's the worst thing. It kills joy. It steals peace. It robs you of any relationship with your heavenly Father. But all of a sudden, sting loses, sorry, sin loses its sting when you see it in the, through the eyes and the lens of the grace of Jesus Christ, right? So instead of having to winch away, from, like kind of flinch from it, ah, I want, you, I want to relook at it through another lens, through the lens of, of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. Paul writes about it here saying, you know, because the issue with it, it brings about death. What does it bring about the death of? Well, think about it. If you think about things that have died in your life, maybe you've had a relationship and it fell apart. And if you'd be honest with it, maybe it was something that you can look back to saying, it was in me. There was like a selfishness in me or selfishness in them. There was pride. There was lust and it tore it apart because that's what sin does. It kills. It brings death. It causes the death of relationships. It certainly causes the death of potential in our lives. 100% leads to the death of our joy and ultimately the death of our peace. However, however, and it's worth knowing this, sin is not an exclusively Christian word. In, in fact, its origins, <laughs> this might be fascinating for somebody to know, its origins are actually not even religious at all. 
which is interesting because in this day and age, where it's almost offensive to talk about this idea, and Christians this and religious that, the word didn't even originate with any religion. And anthropologists have looked through all cultures, and there is this seemingly concurrent theme, something of along the lines of a similar act, acts of wrongdoing that cause a sense of guilt in every single culture. It's like that there's something about in people that we just recognize. You don't have to label it. You don't have to title it. It's just like, in fact, the New Testament definition of sin, it's not spooky. It literally just means to miss the mark. So if there's a mark, here's the mark. You want to hit, I miss it. That's, that's sin. So I don't know if your idea has been this horrible, angry God with lightning bolts. You're sin, right? That's amazing. I was hopeless at javelin, so I definitely didn't do that correctly. But, but it literally just means, this is the Bible. It just means to miss a mark. Doesn't give it a degree. If you miss the mark this much, then you're an extraordinary sinner. It's just like, you missed the mark. Okay, so let me just take the spookiness around it. But this still is, this is the real enemy. So they recognize this isn't necessarily even a religious thing in particular. But um, I've read an account recently. It wasn't a religious account, which again, I think sums up this point really well. It's from a Marxist scholar. And he wrote an amazing account uh, after the fall or the collapse of communism in Russia back in 1991. And he was absolutely devastated by the revelations about all the horrors that were just beginning to come to light that had happened in his country. And over the almost a century where um, kind of the, the communist ideal had gripped Russia, and for all, you know, allegedly the, the right reasons, now this horror of tens of millions of people have been murdered uh, under its ideology. And so this scholar, he was a Marxist scholar, he was for it. He writes about his lament after seeing the atrocities behind it. He said, I had no idea that things like this were taking place in my own country. He said, I became a communist with the best of ideals. And how many things can we say that in our life, right? I did this for the best of reasons. He said, I did it to fight racism and poverty and to bring about a just society. But now I'm learning that we, we created a monster. And I want you to read along this next part that he wrote with me. He says this, we saw the evil in others, the capitalists, the rich, the exploiters, but we didn't see it in ourselves. I've learned to distrust any utopian philosophy, especially one that says us against them, because the danger of evil is inside all of us, rich or poor, socialists or capitalists. Now, I'm just side note, I'm not doing this to, to try and make some uh, commentary on different political persuasions or, you know, um, national ideal or anything like that. But it's raising an interesting point here that's completely secular based. Even they recognize it wasn't the system, like the, the system on paper looked correct. What ruined this? There's something, he used the term, inside of us. We just ruin things we get our hands on. Um, recently, I read an interesting article, I think some of you might have read it in the ABC recently, that the creator of the internet, who is now, he's, much, he's a philosophical writer, he's now lamenting the internet. He said the original reason it was created was the sharing of ideas and the, the blossoming of human life. And now he sees how much it's been exploited. And he, and he didn't use this word, but he was essentially leaning towards the depravity that comes through sin. He goes, it owns it now. In fact, just yesterday, Sasha Baron Cohen, many of you would be familiar with some of his films. Um, he's a British uh, actor. He's a comedian, funny guy. He, he was sharing, and he took a swipe at Facebook. Hello, Facebook. I know we're watching you. Saying, like, here's something that was... Um, you know, allegedly created to help build connection. He goes, but yet, look at what it's become in so many cases. And, and they reckon like majority of divorce settlements now have the word Facebook in it. 
you know, written of the reasons behind it. It's just this weird thing. So, but we see this pattern over and over and over again. It's like there is something otherworldly that's taking place. Like almost as if no matter how you try and sugarcoat and label it, there's this, there's something, there's something broken in all humanity, irrespective of your status in life or your background, religious or not. And that is exactly the thing that the Savior came to rescue the world from. And here's the point. Here's what I'm getting to. is that sin, the recognizing that there is this innate evil on the planet. It's a pointer to another world. But more than that, grace, the grace of Jesus Christ, is the colliding of that world with our world, right? So this idea, this is what keeps reminding us that there, it's like the Christmas message is one of a, a, a world that's full of grace and hope and to rescue us. It's a message of grace colliding with our world. And so here's how the angels go on and explain how this works out to the shepherds. The very next verse, they say this. Um, so saying, you have a Messiah who'll be the Lord. And this will be, ready? This will be the sign to you. This will be the sign of a Savior who's going to rescue the whole world from their sin and deliver you from your greatest enemy. This will be the sign to you. You will find a baby, a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, food trough. Probably not what the shepherds were expecting to hear that a, a mighty global saving Messiah was going to sound like, right? They probably had more of an idea of a warrior who had a sword and a flaming shield and was on a white horse and had a big army. They were blowing trumpets and coming to rescue. That might be one day later, right? Read the end of the book. That happens later on. But at this moment, it was like, there's a baby. As if to say, that here comes the Messiah to rescue you, to rescue you from our enemies. But he's not taking you out of the trouble. His plan was different. God's rescue plan was not to take us out of the world, but it was for him to enter it. And what we celebrate at Christmas time, the colliding of these two worlds and the rescue plan that God has for humanity, we see with the birth of Jesus Christ that God, him wanting to bring peace to earth, he's like, I'm not going to take you from it. I'm going to clothe myself in a body and I'm going to come to earth and I'm going to bring peace there. The peace isn't going to be one day when. The peace isn't going to be in the distance and when you finish and when things get right, you can know peace right now and right where you are. And this is what the love of God, this is what the message of Jesus Christ is about. It's the eternal world being made manifest through the material, through the physical world. And then something happened that just took the conversation between the shepherds and this angel to a whole, a whole nother lesson, level. And they were never expecting this. In the very next verse, <laughs> the angels break out into song. It was the very first Christmas carol. Dad joke. So suddenly, suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel and they were praising God and they were saying, Ready? I've practiced this. I'm going to sing it. <clears throat> Joking, I'm not. I'll say that for tonight. Glory to God in the highest heaven. Notice this. Where's the peace? <laughs> on earth. Okay? Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace, goodwill to mankind. Now, you have to understand how significant this was, okay? Because you're these poor, lowly shepherds looking after your sheep. Not only are you terrified that an angel's here announcing the Savior of the whole world, but then a whole choir of angels joins you in the sky, right? Hallelujah, hallelujah. And here's all these angels and these shepherds going, wow, that is amazing. And they're like, yes, you're going to know peace. You're going to know peace. And they're like, we're going to know peace. And they're like, how are we going to know peace? The peace, the heavenly peace is going to come down to you. Peace is going to be on earth. 
hang on, but we need to, I thought we were going to get rescued. I thought we were going to get rescued from it all. And we can often have this idea that peace will come when one day the war ends. Or maybe one day when things get fixed. Because if you think about what they're saying, they said there'll be peace on earth. The truth is, on earth, on earth and in our lives, there's actually a lot that can go wrong. And on earth right now, maybe even in your life right now, there is a lot of pain. And on earth, there are a lot of disappointments. You don't need me to tell you that. There can be a lot of heartbreaks. It can lead us to a lot of insecurity. And so when we think about what's happening on earth, we can look at even in a broader sense, just, just what is going on with the planet? Why all this division? We can often think in terms of the rescue mission that God has for us is to take us all, to rescue us out of this. But that's not how God did it. God had a different idea when he was talking about peace. God's idea of peace wasn't to finish that war or that battle. God's idea of peace was a person. God's idea of peace was Jesus. And instead of taking you and removing you from the planet, he said, I'm going to bring my peace to your planet. It was the colliding of two worlds. And God introduced peace through the person of Jesus. And what's amazing about this is you can't earn this peace. You can't chase this peace. You can't grab at this peace. It comes into your life as a gift. It is a person of Jesus. I mean, I learned this in a whole, just a whole new way beyond even whether at risk of this sounding like religious rhetoric and just wishful thinking. I saw this with my own eyes a number of years ago. I met a guy and we've become, ever since this moment, we've become great mates. And um, I didn't realize that earlier in the year, he'd lost his wife. She died suddenly during her sleep for no reason, no explanation. And they'd only been married a couple of months. Absolute tragic circumstances. Now, I met him, and I didn't know this about his life, and so he's telling me, telling me about his life. We were meeting at Glory Jeans in Budrum. Now, I know you guys don't know what that is because you live on the Sunshine Coast, and you're all snobs now, so no one goes to chain coffees anymore. But once upon a time, there was such thing as chain coffees, right? And we'd go there, and um, no one laughed at that. It wasn't very fun. So we met there, and he's telling me his story. And, and I was like, Nate, I, by looking at you, I would never have guessed you've gone through what you got, you went through. Like, you've got to tell me how this makes, like, just look. You look at peace. Tell me how this works now. Because that's like, it's hard, that seems to be one of the hardest things. And he goes, I'll never forget the moment. The day she died, I woke up from the sleep and ambulance came, police and all that stuff. And at the end of the day, it's been a long day. He goes, I had this almost like a vision, but I saw two different versions of myself at a crossroads. And one version of myself, he said, I'll never forget it. I was hunched over. I was angry. I was bitter. I had no joy. I had no peace. But then I saw this other version of me. And my arms were open. And I was smiling. And I was full of joy. And I knew peace. And I'm like leaning in, sipping my, you know, latte. And so what happened? And he goes, right in the middle of those options, I just felt Jesus say to me, you get to choose. And he's like, well, I want that. And he goes, then choose me. You follow Jesus, you get that. And so he said, I just chose Jesus. He goes, now nothing, no thing changed. I'd still lost the love of my life and I was still absolutely heartbroken. He goes, but it didn't lead me to despair. He goes, I now, I just know a peace now that surpasses 
anything I can wrap my head around. He goes, I found, I found Jesus. And I wonder if in our lives, in, a life, in part of your life right now, that you feel like you have lost peace, that you're losing your joy because of that, and you're losing sleep because of that, and you're losing your mind because of that. My question to you is, have you kept Jesus out of it? And maybe this Christmas time, come on, maybe, maybe this has to be more than just presents and wrapping and trees and tinsels in the plaza. Maybe there's something deeper. Maybe there's something real. Maybe this year you can allow the world of Christ again to invade your life. This could be so much more than an activity scene and some Christmas carols that you personally would know Jesus like you've never known him before. Look at how this story ends. This is amazing. So the shepherds visit Jesus, they see him in the manger, and as they head back, here's how Luke recounts. He says, the shepherds returned from seeing the baby Jesus. Notice this. They were glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they'd been told. This is amazing to me, okay? Here come the shepherds, middle of the night, middle of the night, working. When was the last time you were in the middle of a shift and you just started worshiping and praising God and being stoked, right? Like, rarely happens in this kind of way. But they were like, they couldn't believe. Like, they had found incredible joy. They found incredible peace. But here's the thing. What had changed? Had they gotten a pay rise? Nope. Had they gotten a new job? Nope. As far as we can tell, they haven't even found a girlfriend yet? Nope. What had changed? All that had happened between previously when they were terrified and now they were rejoicing and praising God and their lives seemed to be filled with so much joy. All that had happened is that they met Jesus. That was it. And the dividing line in their life, whether they had peace or not, whether they knew joy or not, is that they had met Christ. They had an encounter with Jesus Christ personally. And here's my prayer and my hope for you over the next few weeks and as we delve into this series of peace on earth, that peace for you, that there'd somehow be a change in us that would go from being somehow we have to change all the events that are going on and then I can know peace. Things finally have to work out the way they want and then I can know peace. The God has to answer my prayer, how I'm asking it, and then I will know peace. Maybe there's a peace that's been eluding you because you've been looking in the wrong area. There is a peace that's offered for free and it's found by putting your trust in Jesus Christ. And here's the lesson we can learn from these shepherds is that you and I can know peace in any and every season of life. And maybe the season of life you're in right now it's been harsh to you and it's been painful for you. But I want to take a moment. I want to pray for your life. And I want to believe with you that you would know the reality of Jesus Christ in such a way that you would experience a peace that's bigger than any victory or than any stuff or than any money or than any other person can bring to you. But you would know the peace that comes through knowing Jesus Christ. And this is what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He's always revealing to us Jesus. And it might happen for you. Here's the thing. It might happen for you just randomly. You're walking through the plaza and you can't explain it. And then it's like, there it is. I just, I've chosen Christ. And I just, my kids are like biting my ankles. We're in like debt now this Christmas. I have all the reasons to be freaking out. But why do I, why do I just feel like that's the Holy Spirit showing you the peace of Jesus Christ in your life? He do it at any time. You might be singing a song. Jingle bells, jingle bells, right? Like the worst song ever. And like, why, why am I, why do I just, why have I just found peace? <laughs> it can come, it's like the same way the angel invaded the shepherd's life. Sometimes the peace of God can come when you least expect it. 
So I want to pray for anyone this morning. Maybe, maybe you've lost your peace. And maybe there's good reason for it. And you've certainly been through your share of difficulty in this season of your life. I want to believe with you that you would know the Holy Spirit in such a way. You would experience this peace that Jesus offers from the Prince of Peace himself. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by what you heard and inspired to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. Hope you can join us again on the next podcast or here at Suncoast Church.